Well, good evening, Rocky Peak. <laughs> hey, it is so good to see you here. Good to be here. My, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. If it's your very first time, I want to welcome you. And I believe we may have some special guests in the house. And I don't normally do this, but I think that we have um, Pastor Joel Inyard and Christy. Are, are you guys here somewhere? I don't see you. Are you, are you there? Yeah, why don't you guys stand up right here? A lot of you remember Joel, one of our teaching pastors, and uh, just a shout out to you guys, we love you guys, and we're having dinner with them later, and so um, they just had a tremendous ministry here, they're up in Canada, and I hear rumor that God is up there occasionally from time to time, <laughs> most of the time it's too cold, he stays down here in Southern California, but uh, anyway, uh, great to be with you. Uh, we're going to go to our time of teaching right now. And so inside your program, green and white message note sheet. And so um, if you guys, we don't have any announcements tonight, which is awesome. It means I can teach longer. That is just awesome. And I don't have to wait for anything. And I don't have to like get done on time because it's Saturday night. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, we're just excited to be here and to be pursuing you together as a church. And we are just so hungry for you, God. We're hungry for your presence. We're hungry for your leadership. We just acknowledge without you, God, we are nothing, that we can do nothing, that you are the wind in our sails. You're the life in our life, God. You're the one that breathes new life into us and raises us from the dead. And so we're just here to pursue you, God, and to understand a little bit more what it means to be a follower, what it means to be part of your kingdom. We pray that you would grant us that desire of our heart as we seek you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today... Um, on a Saturday morning, and uh, it, it's a beautiful day, it's a bright day, and he's gotten up, he's walking to synagogue, and, um, and honestly, um, kind of a mixed, uh, there's a lot of tension in the, in the town where he is. Um, for the most part, people have really responded well to his message, his ministry, things are going well, his reputation's growing, people are coming from a great distance, but uh, on the other side of it, um, the leaders, both the religious leaders, political leaders, are seeing increasingly as a threat. And so um, they're actually going to be there today. They're going to be coming at this uh, synagogue service, uh, observing. They're looking for evidence. They're looking to build a case, something that will hold up in court, that would lead to a conviction, lead even to an execution. And so um, as the service starts, uh, everyone's nervous. Everyone knows what's going on. Everyone can, can feel the vibe in the room. And so it starts like a typical synagogue service would start. You know, it starts with the Shema, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and there is, uh, we will love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our might. And so we, we start the service, and now we pray the prayers, and like everyone else, he's entering into these prayers. He's, he's praying the same prayers he's prayed since the time he was a little boy. And then there comes the reading of the scripture and the Old Testament readings, and and then comes that moment that everyone has been waiting for, everyone's watching for, wondering what's going to happen, the moment when he steps up and walks to the middle of the room. Well, today, we are uh, continuing the series that we've been in now for about the last month that's called Unfiltered, Revealing the Character of the Kingdom. And my hunch is there's probably some new people here every week, it seems like there is. And so uh, for those of you who are new, you know, welcome but um, this is really a series about Jesus, and it's actually the second in a, in a longer series. Um, so think of it like uh, season two of a long-running TV drama, so maybe Blue Bloods or American Idol or something like that. 
Uh, and so what we've seen in this series is that uh, often when we come to the topic of Jesus, that we often bring images, kind of filtered images based on things that we've learned growing up or not learned growing up, uh, maybe movies that we've seen, maybe even kind of uh, currents in political culture. This is who I think Jesus should be or I want him to be. And so what happens is we end up all these kind of filtered images of who Jesus is. And so what we're doing in this series is we're going back to the first century, one of the earliest documents ever written that described the life and teaching of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we're going back in time to see if we can capture some new images, take off some filters, and, and get a fresh view of who Jesus was and who he is so we know what it means to follow him. So uh, in the second season of this series, uh, what we're doing is we're looking at the most famous message that Jesus ever gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're looking at just the intro, first 10, 12, 13 verses of this sermon, uh, where Jesus starts to lay out the path to the good life. Now, the way you'd say that in Hebrew or in, uh, in the first century Judaism is the blessed life. So he starts off with these eight statements, kind of provocative statements about here's uh, who can be part of the kingdom. Here's, here's the path to the, to the good life. We call them the, the Beatitudes because that's Latin for blessing. Uh, and so the last two weeks, we've looked at the first two of these eight provocative statements. Today, we come to number three. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's open up and turn on to um, chapter 5 of Matthew, and uh, I'm going to set this up as I normally do. So uh, what's happened is Jesus has come north to the Galilee. He has launched his ministry. His message is that the epic kingdom of God, when God will return to the nation and turn all wrongs to right, restore all of creation, new heavens, new earth, that that time is very near. And uh, he not only makes this audacious claim, but he backs it up with amazing signs of power. So blind people are seeing, uh, lame people are walking, the deaf are hearing, demoniacs are getting uh, uh, set free from their, their demonizations. And so it's like, a, it's like a preview of coming attractions, like the power of the coming kingdoms breaking in the time and space. And as a result, crowds are coming from great distance to... Uh, meet Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to learn more about his kingdom, maybe to bring a friend who, who needs to be healed, maybe to come and be healed themselves. And so it's in that setting that Matthew draws back and says, okay, so let me tell you the kinds of things Jesus was teaching as he was traveling around the Galilee. And so in chapter 5 and verse 1, he gives us this sample sermon. He says, so when uh, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him, and we pointed this out every week, that this message is really for his disciples, so there's a big crowd there, but the message is for his disciples, what it means to follow him, character of his kingdom, and he begins to teach him, and so it's the first statement, first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, there's is the kingdom of heaven, here and now, you can enter in, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We've talked about this, that that what Jesus is saying is that the prophets said that when the kingdom of God would come, and God would come, that poor, the poor people would be rescued, that people who are in mourning and oppressed would be comforted. And he says, that promise is still good. And as you become a part of my kingdom, you'll experience, you'll see that happening. And then he comes to this third statement this, uh, that we're, we're going to focus for today. Blessed are the what? Let's say it again. Blessed are the meek, right? Uh, very common word. We use it every day. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, so that's our statement. Of course, now the question is, what does he mean? Uh, who are the meek? What does it mean to inherit the earth? And so what we need to do is kind of break this down. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called the third beatitude. 
uh, what's the promise? You know, what, what, what's he promising? What's it mean to be meek? What's what it means to inherit the earth? And so I've, I've broken this down into two questions. Right? To get at this, I want to ask two questions as we break this down to try to understand what Jesus is saying. So the first question goes like this. What's it mean to be meek? Okay? And I fill in those blanks. What's it mean to be meek? Now, this is an important question because in our culture today, when we think of meek, we often think of what? Weak. Weak. Good. Very good. That was awesome without any prompting. At 9 o'clock, I'll have to ask three times. Uh, like, like, what? Uh, where, I got my coffee. Where am I? Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, what's it mean to be um, meek? And so I think typically we often think in our culture to be meek is to be me- weak. Now, here's what I want you to catch, that often it does mean that. Right? Uh, in fact, I think that's probably what Jesus is saying here. If you follow the logic of the first three Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, I believe he's describing the same people. These are people that are broken down by life. They've been oppressed by the rich and the powerful. They're poor. Uh, There's a lot of pain in their life as a result. They're mourning, and they're very weak in the sense of vulnerable. They don't have the power to rise up against the rich. They're, They're weak, right? And they're, they're, they're oppressed. And so Jesus is reiterating the promise of the prophets that blessed are the meek or the weak, the vulnerable, because God is coming and he's going to turn all wrongs to right. And the poor and those who are mourning and the meek or the weak are going to be restored. And so I think that's probably what he's getting at. But what I want you to catch is that this word translated here, meek, doesn't always mean weak. And this is really important because we want to understand what did Jesus mean that day, but we also understand the character of his kingdom. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And so it doesn't always mean weak. In fact, I want to do a little word study here with you. And so I would like you to, I'm going to give you the Greek word for meek, and I want you to write it down, all right, because, it's, um, because we're going to actually uh, deal with it quite a bit today. It's going to be important. So the word in Greek for that's translated meek is the word praus, and it's spelled like this, P-R-A-U-S, praus, P-R-A-U-S. Now, if you were to look uh, like an authoritative scholarly Greek dictionary, here's would be some of the words it would use to describe praus, humble. You might want to write something that says humble. Uh, A second word, approachable. A third word, gentle. A fourth description would be not self-centered. A fifth one would be considerate. And then they would throw in the word meek. Now, what's really interesting about this word, though, praus, is that Jesus is actually going to use this word later in Matthew's gospel to describe himself. And it's in a very famous passage. There in your note sheet, in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, which is uh, the, the rabbis would often describe coming under someone's leadership or authority as taking the yoke upon you. 
So for example, the rabbis would refer to coming under the yoke of Torah, the law. You're coming under the leadership of Torah. And so he says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, come under my leadership. And he said, um, and learn from me, and you'll be my disciple, uh, for I am what? I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Now that word gentle here is the word praus. Now, the reason I, I want to take some time with this is it's really important for us. One of my goals as we go through this series is to get an unfiltered view of Jesus so we understand who we're supposed to be. Because Jesus is not only the king of the kingdom, he is the first citizen of the kingdom. He is the model citizen. So if you want to know what God's trying to do in your life, you want to know who he wants you to become, you look at the first citizen of the kingdom, and you model off of him, right? And so what's interesting today is that Jesus says, I am prouse. I'm prouse and I'm humble. Now, what's interesting to me is that as you study the life of Jesus, he combines these two, uh, in some ways, almost opposite characteristics that I find incredibly compelling in one person. That to me, these are two of the characteristics that draw me to Jesus as a man, uh, and, and he's, I find him extremely compelling. And this is what I find. Jesus is both incredibly tough, and he's incredibly tender. And you see these opposite, what we often think is opposite traits together in one person. And so, um, so for example, I want to talk to you a little bit about his toughness, right? So by toughness, what do I mean by that? I mean he is brave, I mean, he is courageous. He will march into harm's way. He is not afraid of anyone. He will stand up to anyone. He will, he will always stand for what's right and good and true, regardless of the cost. He is fearless, right? And I'm drawn to that. For me as a man, that is a model I can follow. I can't follow a wimpy Jesus, And I think many times in Christian circles, we've painted him as just kind of this sacrimonious wimp. And for those of us who are guys, it's like, what are you, like, how do you follow that? Right? And so what I, what I love about Jesus, he's so compelling, his strength and his courage, his bravery is incredible. And I, I want to give you an example. We'll see this all through this series, but I want to fire a shot over the bow, like, like preview of coming attractions. We started the day with a story of this leader on a Saturday morning heading to synagogue. Now, very likely you figured this out. This was Jesus, right? And this is a scene from Mark chapter 3. It happens early in his ministry. So he's come to Capernaum. He's moved his Capernaum. He's done a bunch of miracles, done some teaching. As a result, crowds are coming. And so it's also drawing religious leaders who see him as both a religious and a political threat to the nation. So he's still pretty popular at this point with the crowds, but the leaders, are they want to take him out. They've already decided we want to take him out, but they have to build a case. They want to do this legally. Uh, that'd be easier, so they need to build a case. So uh, the, the, what they're shooting for, even early on, is to come up with a claim of being a false prophet. So according to like Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, you can take him out. And so, in their minds, well, if you violate the Sabbath and you're teaching people to violate the Sabbath, you're a false prophet. Now, their view of the Sabbath 
was like this, is that uh, God said don't do any work, and therefore that means you shouldn't ever heal anyone on the Sabbath. Jesus had a completely different understanding of Sabbath. As he studied the scripture, he became convinced that the purpose of the Sabbath was to restore us to health. One day we get restored. And what better way to be restored than to be healed? So for him, the Sabbath was the perfect day. Now here's what I want you to catch. We're going to see this time and time again. He's going to get in trouble because of the Sabbath. And I want you to stop and think about it. He could have avoided all this trouble just by saying, okay, shop is closed on the Sabbath. I heal through uh, Sunday through Friday, and then I do not heal anything, right? He could just avoid, we'll see this day, he could avoid it in other ways, but he doesn't. Knowing that these leaders are there, knowing that they're looking for evidence to, uh, to prosecute him, he is going to go right at him. And this is what I mean. We're going to see the courage of Jesus, right? So there in your note sheet, I put this passage from chapter 2, uh, chapter 3 of, Ma- of Mark. And he says, so Jesus went to the synagogue. So it's Saturday. Now remember, Jesus went to the synagogue every week, right? This is what he did. He's a good Jew. He's going to worship. He's going to pray the prayers. He's going to read the scriptures. He's going to say the Shema. Uh, so he, uh, he goes to the synagogue. And there's this man with a shriveled hand that's there. And so some of them, and we're going to find out later, these some of them were from two different religious groups. One is called the Pharisees. We probably from The other group is called the Herodians. Now, normally, these guys were on different sides of the aisle. This would be like Republicans and Democrats today. They normally didn't get along, but in this case, they're going to have a bipartisan movement to take out Jesus. So, so anyway, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And so Jesus knows this. He knows what's at stake. But he said to the man with his shriveled hand, stand up in front of what? Everyone. Now, if it was me, I might say, hey, Peter, see the guy with the shriveled hand? Tell him to meet me in the green room afterwards. Or I might have said, hey, take a note to the guy. Tell him to come back tomorrow. Uh, If I care about his hand, one day it won't matter, right? So, um, but not Jesus. uh, He's going to make a big deal of this. Now, he knows what's at stake. He knows what's going on, but he's going to make a big deal of this. He said, um, stand up in front of everyone. Like, hey, get the spots on this guy. Don't want any of you to miss what's about to happen. And then he asks this incredible question. He just puts them in a box. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? He frames the question in such a way it's impossible to answer. Like basically, if you can heal someone and you don't, you're doing them harm. And so they don't really want to get into it with Jesus. Um, the crowd's probably still for him, and it's probably not super safe for them. Um, uh, and maybe they've just learned that things don't go so well when you get into it with Jesus. But they remain silent. And so he looked at them, and I catch look at them in what? In anger. Now, why is he mad? He's mad because they're leading people astray. He's mad because they're misrepresenting God. 
He's mad because they're teaching people that God's about rules and restrictions instead of healing and life. And there's these big, powerful leaders, and they're, they're like starving the sheep to death. And, uh, and he was deeply distressed. He was really upset at their stubborn hearts. In the Greek, it actually says they're hardened hearts. In other words, he becomes so insensitive to God and insensitive to people, no compassion. And so he said to the man, remember, he's out in front now, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out. And this, I want you to picture this. This guy's shriveled hand, as he stretches it out, it just comes to life like a flower. And you can imagine, I mean, in the room, imagine, I'm sure everyone's like, <gasps> you know. And these guys are ticked off. And uh, so the Pharisees, they went out, they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, the reason I'm telling this story is not about the miracle. I want you to see the courage of Jesus. I want you to see his toughness. We're going to see that he is never going to back down. He is always going to stand up for what is right and true. Regardless, He is fearless. That's what I call the toughness of Jesus. Now, the reason I want to paint that clear picture is because often when we think of someone who's gentle, we don't think they can be tough. Are you with me here? You think there's gentle people and there's tough people. And so we hear Jesus say, you know, blessed are the meek or the gentle. I don't want us to get the idea that that's his vision for our life, this kind of wimpy, you know, whatever goes, just go along with everything. What I want you to get really clear is that here's Jesus. We're going to see it all the way through, courageous, bold, fearless, and yet gentle. And we're going to see the gentleness of Jesus, aren't we? We're going to watch as Jesus says to the man with leprosy, be healed. And he reaches out and touches him because that man hasn't been touched in years. We're going to watch as the woman who's got this horrible reputation comes into a fancy dinner and cries on Jesus' feet. And when the Pharisee calls him out and says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman. He wouldn't let him touch her, but he not only touches her, he blesses her. Your sins, though, there are many have been forgiven, for you love much. We're going to watch him raise the woman caught in the very act of adultery. We're going to watch him raise her to her feet. We're going to watch his compassion for the crowds that have been with him. And he says, I have compassion on these people. They've been with three days. and they don't." What we're going to see time and time again is we're going to see the compassion and the gentleness of Jesus. He doesn't care where you're coming from. His heart goes out to you. He cares where you're going, and he's going to meet us. And that's why we love him, right? Have you not experienced the gentleness of Jesus in your life? Have you not experienced the humility of Jesus that though being God, he comes to serve you in spite of your rebellion and your resistance and your disobedience time and time again? Have you not experienced the gentleness of Jesus that comes and it's the, repent, the kindness of God that leads you to repentance? Have you not experienced the gentleness of Jesus in your life? And yet if we only had a gentle Jesus, how could we follow that? We need a strong leader. We need a top. We need King Jesus. We need him riding back on a horse with a sword coming in his mouth and blood all over him. We need someone tough enough to deal with whatever this world hands out. Someone's bigger and badder and stronger than evil. 
And this is who we have. That he is both tough and he's tender. And so what I want you to catch today is that when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, he's not calling us to be weak. We may be weak, and the good news, if we're weak and we're oppressed, the kingdom of God is coming. But he's not calling us to be weak. He's calling us to model him, which is both a toughness, a courage, a bravery, a fearlessness that will march into harm's way for what is right and good and true, but there's a gentleness and compassion in our life for those who are hurting. Now, so the second question I want to ask is, what's it mean to inherit the earth? And for this one, we have to go back in time, not just to the first century, but further, uh, further back to the story of Israel, like we've been doing every week. And so what's the promise of the prophets? The promise of the prophets is one day the kingdom of God will come, God will come, and it will restore you, it will restore your land, and it will restore a uh, time of prosperity and peace, and, and he'll rescue you, and he'll create new heavens and new earth. And so what Jesus is saying is that blessed are the meek, blessed are the weak. You may be beat down now, but if you follow me, it's all, you're going to win in the end. You will inherit the world. You will rule the next life with me as kings and priests. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're destined to rule. And even if you're beat down by life or oppressed or life is hard or you live under a horrible oppressive government or whatever the thing is, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you win in the end and you will inherit the earth and you will rule with King Jesus. That's what he's saying. But there's something really interesting about this particular Beatitude and how he says it. Do you remember that last week, the last two weeks, we've seen the first two Beatitudes tied directly to Isaiah 61? Do you remember that? Blessed are the poor, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to announce good news to the poor. And then blessed are those who mourn, in Isaiah 61, they'll bring the oil of joy for those who are mourning. Well, this week, the passage that Jesus is tying into is not Isaiah 61, it's Psalm 37. So it's, he appears to be quoting Psalm 37. Remember, Jesus is knee-deep in the Word. And so it's often easy to miss when he's quoting or alluding to passage. But uh, in Psalm 37, here's a psalm. Psalm 37, uh, King David uh, is who wrote this psalm. And he's writing to encourage believers, people who trust in God, to continue trusting in God, catch this, even when the wicked are winning, when the wicked are advancing and the wicked are, through their injustice, they are inheriting the land, that the righteous should never compromise their standards and become wicked in order to advance. That the righteous need to trust in God, who's a God of justice, that he will eventually sort things out. And this is what Psalm 37 says. So David says to, this, to his audience, he says, be still before Yahweh. Lord, all caps, Yahweh. Be still before Yahweh and wait patiently for him. And do not fret or worry when evil people succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. So he says, when you see the wicked succeeding... Can you relate this? Your job, your family. When the wicked are succeeding, it's very tempting to become wicked yourself. If that's what it takes to win, 
I'm going to start being wicked too. And David says, don't do it. Don't make that mistake. He says, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to what? To evil. And he says, for those who are evil, they will be destroyed. Justice will be done. He says, but those who hope in the Lord, hope in no, it's trust in him to come through and be just. Those who hope in the Lord, they will inherit what? The land. Those who trust in the Lord will inherit the land. Look at the next line. A little while and the wicked will be no more. In other words, God will deal with them. And though you look for them, they will not be found. But the what? The meek will what? Inherit the land. Jesus is going back to the Old Testament. And he's saying, hey, this is what God has been teaching us all along. That when the wicked are successful, don't compromise yourself and become wicked to get ahead. Trust in God. You will win in the end. And so he says, blessed are the meek. You may be weak, but you will inherit the earth. And what's really interesting is I want you to remember this, that while Jesus is teaching that day, one of the groups that are active in Israel is a group called the Zealots. And what are the zealots saying? They're saying if the kingdom of God is going to come, we have to take it with violence. We have to play by those rules. If if the wicked Romans, if the wicked Romans are winning and we want to win, we have to become wicked. And what Jesus is going to say in the Sermon on the Mount is no. That's not the way the kingdom of God. He says this is going to be a very countercultural kingdom. He says, as my disciples, we are always going to take the high road. We're going to love people. Sometimes it'll be tough love. Sometimes it'll be tender love. But we're going to love people, and we're never going to allow our enemies to dictate our behavior. When the enemies and the wicked succeed, we will not, like David says, compromise. We will take the high road. He says, my kingdom is a kingdom of love, and so we will always choose love. And the kingdom will come, and you will win. So later on in the sermon, in the same chapter, now we're not going to get there for a while. <laughs> Before Christmas, I promise. Uh, we've got another series in between. But... Um, Look what he says in chapter 5. Now, this, this passage always raises lots of questions and save it till November. But um, I just want to point out something in general. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That's how the world goes round. Right? And, um, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. I realize this raises lots of questions I'm not going to address today. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Here, catch it. You have heard that we said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That is the way that the Jews of their day had been taught by their leaders. Love your neighbor, your fellow Jew, hate your enemy. That is the godly way. And that's the way the kingdom will come. Jesus says, no, but I tell you, love your what? Enemies. Now, right now. I want you to start visualizing some enemies. Because this looks really awesome on a plaque. 
It really sucks in life. Right? Are you with me? It sounds really good. Love your... Yes, Jesus. What, my mother-in-law? Are you serious? Uh, my boss? My business partner who ripped me off? My spouse who ran after someone else, broke up our marriage, is now lying to take away our kids? All of a sudden, this is very difficult, doesn't it? So I want you to think real enemies here. Not just, you know. Uh, how about this? How about political enemies? <laughs> how about legislatures, legislators that are pushing for agendas that are ungodly and unbiblical and destructive. Would, would that classify as an enemy? Oh, too bad. All right. Uh, are you in the here? Uh, love your enemy. I don't think it says, like, love your enemies except this kind of enemy. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Hmm. That you may be Children of your Father in heaven. What do you mean? Well, he loves his enemies. So if you want to grow up and be like your father, then that's who he is. In fact, while you are his enemies, he's going to die for you. Okay. So, of course, Jesus not only teaches this, of course, he models this. And for those who have eyes to see, we can take off some filters. Like, pretend you don't know the story of Jesus and see it fresh for the first time. That he will be tough as nails in confronting his enemies in love, right? He'll be speaking the truth. He will not pull any punches. We saw that today. But when it comes time for them to arrest him and beat him and nail him to a cross and hang him up and mock him, he will say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He will pray for his enemies. In fact, the reason he is hanging there and taking that abuse is in the hopes that through his taking their abuse, they can be healed. And so... Blessed are the meek, those who are oppressed, you follow me, you're in for what the, promised prophet, uh, prof, what the prophets prophesied and promised, that you will inherit the earth. Now, this leads to a couple important questions then for us today. So the third beatitude, two important questions. And so here's my first question. Are you growing in gentleness? Even in your own life, as a follower of Jesus, are you growing in gentleness? Like I said, one of the reasons we're studying the life of Jesus is because he is the first citizen of the kingdom. And so when you look at Jesus, he models, here are the character qualities. This is what I want you to be like. And so we've seen both the tough side today and the tender side. And I don't think you can really understand the tender without the tough or the tough without the tender. They're the context for understanding. Like if we only see the tender side we will become uh, overly um, kind of sentimental and uh, kind of weak-spined and 
uh, we will become something that's very unlike Jesus. If you only see the tough side, um, we will become very harsh people. We'll misunderstand his heart completely. And so we've seen it today, and the focus today is not on the tough side, the fearless side. Um, it's on this tender side. And so the question I have for you is that in your life, uh, are you becoming like Jesus in this area of tenderness, in this area of prouse, in this area of compassion, uh, humility, um, of consideration, of sensitivity? Now, uh, for different ones of us here, it's going to be a different challenge. For some of us here, we're more naturally tough. The challenge is to grow in tenderness. For some of us here, you're more naturally tender. The challenge for you is to grow more in toughness, like standing up for what's right and true and good, not just going with the crowd or whatever. Um, and so I want to ask, like, are you growing? Let me ask you a different way. Would those who know you best, because we're often not very good judges, but would those who know you best say that you're growing in tenderness, you're growing in compassion, you're growing in sensitivity. You're growing in patience. You're growing in humility. You're growing in gentleness. This has been a real challenge for me. The last couple of years, um, you may remember this. At the beginning of the year, we did a series that was called Renew. It was a series about uh, the character of the kingdom. You, may, you remember that? And the main passage of that was in Colossians 3. And if you're here, you may remember this. The Paul says, when you come to Jesus... You are connected with him by the Holy Spirit. And so I call it, you go online with Jesus, your network with Jesus. And so because we're online, organically connected by his spirit, we have now access, like in a computer world, like you have access to his death. Uh, so you can die to the old life and you have access to his life so you can rise with him to the new life. And so in this passage, Paul says, so you need to now make that choice to put off the old, put on the new, and he says, the goal is to be renewed, to be like your creator. And when he gets to verse 12 in that passage, he says, let me kind of give you some examples of the character qualities of our creator that we should be growing in, putting on in our life. And so there in your note sheet, I put this verse, Colossians 3, verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, right, chosen before time, holy, kind of set apart, and we're dearly loved, like God just is crazy about you, um, he says, you need to clothe yourself, like you're putting on a new pair of clothes, uh, clothe yourself, and he gives five, I call them the big five, okay? Well, five character qualities. So let's read these together, all right? Number, so we go, let's go, what do you got, ready? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's read them again one more time. So compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, if you look at these, these all um, are in the same orbit, aren't they? That they they're all very similar. It's, in fact, it's hard to have one without the other. Um, actually, he's going to go on later and say, in a couple verses, and say that really they all are manifestations of love. So if you think of this as like a solar system, let's put the sun, let's put the sun in the middle, that's love, and you have these five planets rotating around. They're just five manifestations of love. What's interesting to me, though, is the fourth, the fourth word is what? Can you see him there? Yeah, gentleness. And guess what the word is? Prouse. 
Remember, Jesus said, take my yoke upon me, for I will give you rest. He said, because I am proud and I'm humble. In the Greek, it's praus and tape na prasune. And that's the last two words here. Well, well now the word for humility, actually, the third word is tape na prasune. Gentleness is praus. And so here's Jesus saying, here's this tender side of him. Now, you don't want to get on the wrong side of Jesus because he can be really tough. That's why no one wants to enter into discussion with him. Right? That's why they're silent. But there's this tender, like if, if we're open to him, if we're broken, if we're weak, if we're fallen, if we're repentant, there's a humility, then Jesus opens up his heart to us and we see this incredible humility of Jesus, this gentleness, this prowess of Jesus. And here's what I want you to catch. This is Jesus' vision for your life. Can I tell you my own life? This is a challenge. Because I, I would say I'm probably more on the tough and the tender side. I, I'm like kind of on both sides, but I, I would kind of go more on the tough side. So I can get frustrated. So I get frustrated with inefficiency, for example. Um, like, let me tell you a story. I'll do this Saturday night, because I don't know if I have time Sunday night. But, like, for example, I am fanatical about customer service. Like, right. And so whenever I'm in a place that's like really inefficient or dry, it just frustrates me. It frustrates me personally, but it frustrates me as a leader because I'm just so driven to create a place where there's a great experience at every path. You know, even here, when gets, the ball gets dropped here, it's like, ah, uh, it just kills me. You know, it's like we want to we wanna treat each person at Rocky Peak as if they're the only person. We want every step of the experience to be a great experience. You know what, signing up for something, it's just our passion, right? And so a couple weeks ago, well, it was like a week ago Friday, I had to go get an endoscopy. You know, a lot of you know I have this voice issue, and so they kind of always, every couple years, uh, stick it down my throat to see if something's wrong. Um, and they always say no, uh, so we don't know what's wrong with you. But uh, anyway, so I was, I was going over to a hospital. I will not name the hospital, very tempting, but I'm working on my gentleness. Um, so I, I went to this hospital, and we're supposed to be there at 7.15, and we're right. I'm an on-time guy. I don't like to be late. So we're pulling in like 7.13. We've got to park the car. There's a big parking garage there. But as, I, as we pull into the parking garage, I realize that there's valet parking. I, I'm, out of the corner of my eye, I see free valet parking right over here in front of the hospital. And so I back out of the garage, it's gonna, and I, I park, and I, I pull up there in front, right? And so I'm supposed to be there at 7.15. It's like 7.14, perfect, good. Uh, Lynn, can you stay? Give them the car. I'll go in to register. And so, but as I'm looking around, there are no attendants there. It's like, well, it's free, but no one's here. And I'm thinking, like, well, what time? You know, I'm looking at the sign. It says starts at 7 a.m. It's 7.15. And so it's like, hey, Lynn, can you park the car? You know, I'm going to go in, so I'm on time. And so I go in, and I, I talk to the, the, the lady that's there. They give you an iPad to sign in. And it's great. And so I start, I said, hey, by the way, just so you know, because I'm thinking, like, if it were me, like, you know that this hospital, they've got, like, high-powered people. 
that have said, how can we increase business? I know, let's give a great experience. How about free valet parking? That would be awesome. And you know they're just turning over in their, wherever they're turning over because it's like now it's become a bad experience. And so I said to her, uh, hey, just so you know, at the valet parking, there's no one there. And she said, yeah, sometimes they just come late. <laughs> now, can I tell you something? Inside, that pushes my harsh button. <laughs> now, I was very nice. I said, okay, it's your thing. You know, so I, was, I mean, I'm growing, right? But I mean, these are the kinds of situations that like, push my buttons. I want to say, like, are you crazy? You should be fired, you know? <laughs> Don't you have an owner's mentality? Don't you get it? You should be on the phone and say, I'm sorry, we'll get that solved. Thank you for bringing back. So this is kind of my wiring, right? And so what I'm saying is in my life, the last couple years, this passage in Colossians is one the Lord has led me to, and I've memorized these five qualities. And in fact, I've memorized them in Greek, because it just means more to me that way. And often in the morning when I'm spending my time with God, maybe several times a week, not every day, but several times a week, I'll just say, I just want to go over my head. I just want to remind myself of my checklist as I go through this day, that I want to be compassionate, I want to be kind, I want to be gentle, I want to be patient, I want to be humble. I want these marks in my life. You see? So what I'm doing is I'm holding up a picture of Jesus and saying, that's the target. The question I have for you is, are you growing in gentleness? Or would those who know you best say, you know what, this person claims to be a follower of Jesus, but honestly, they're harsh. They're insensitive. They're self-centered. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're impatient. It's crazy to me how we can claim to be followers of Jesus but not think the measure is Jesus and what we're supposed to be like. It's too many times we're measuring ourselves by the wrong ruler. Did I go to church? Did I go to life group? Did I give? Did I serve? All great things. Hey, but the mark of a Christ follower is we're becoming like Jesus. And so here Jesus says, this is big. Tough, tender. Today focuses on tender. The second question is sort of similar, and at least it builds on it. How do you respond to your enemies? Um, we've seen today that Jesus said, as followers of his that we're to always take the high road. We're not to make the mistake of Psalm 37 that David is warning people about. Hey, when you see the wicked succeeding, you become wicked. You let their behavior dictate your choices. He says, my followers, my kingdom, we're going to take the high road always. And so the question is, how do you respond to your enemies? And earlier I asked you to think of real enemies and that's really important because, honestly, it's one of those areas where if you don't think of real enemies, it's just so easy to be in church and say, praise the Lord. When you think of real enemies, this is hard. Um, and it's completely countercultural. Remember what we said early in the very first week of the series, that the teaching of Jesus sounds great until it gets to real life, 
And then it's, it's very counterculture. It's counterintuitive. Let, let me just ask you, we're super practical here, and I'm not trying to be uh, light here, but how do you respond to people who cut you off on the freeway? Can I tell you something? It's a window into your heart. Can I tell you, for me, driving is a spiritual experience. <laughs> and usually I'm dying to my old life. I, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. Driving for me, is a time to practice forgiveness. I'm not kidding. And you go, well, well, isn't that kind of extreme? Well, let me ask you, when are you going to learn how to forgive? Are you going to wait till it's something really big? Because it's not going to be easier. And so when someone cuts me off and, you know, that lame thing happens... You know, for me, it's a time to, to say, I need to learn how to let this go. Like, I need, I need, if I can't deal with my anger because someone cut me off, how am I going to deal with my anger when something really bad happens? Men and women, I'm serious about this. We're here to release a movement, unleash a movement, a passion in Christ's followers. And if we are not serious about following Jesus and changing, we're never going to change. We have to embrace this. How do you respond to your enemies? And this is not easy. And I think so often we've under, misunderstood this teaching. You know, we've, we've seen that Jesus is both tough and tender, right? And some of us, are, we, we go to the tender side and we lose the tough side. And then others of us lose the tough and we, uh, we hold on the tough and lose the tender so we've talked about this before, but let me just make you a great example. I talked about politics earlier. But you know, there's something about social media that brings out the worst in people. Or maybe it just brings out the people. You know, honestly, when you say, well, you made me do it, no one made you do it. You know, the way you find out what's in a tea bag is put it in my hot water. The hot water didn't make the tea. It was already there. It just revealed what was in the bag. When you say someone made me mad, they didn't make you mad. They just revealed you're an angry person. Because the same thing could happen to someone else and they wouldn't be mad. And so it's interesting to me on social media how I think often our dark side is revealed. But I'm telling you that often, I think especially during times of polit you know, political issues going on, or um, <laughs> which is now every day, but, um, <laughs> but you think of times of like big elections, or you think of times of some kind of major social crisis, a shooting or something like that, where you see the hatred the bitterness that comes out in social media. And what's crazy to me is that often it's people that would call themselves followers of Jesus. And often it's people here at Rocky Peak. 
And when that happens, it makes me wonder, like, how have we missed this? It's so basic. Love your enemies. How have we missed this? That somehow we think that it's okay on Facebook or something to go off on someone, to mock someone, to slander someone, to be ugly and hurtful. I'm not talking about taking a stand for what's right. I'm talking about personal attacks. And it makes me wonder, like, have we never read our Bibles? Do we not understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus? If you are attacking people on Facebook, shame on you. Shame on you. You need to either stop calling yourself a Christian or you need to start following Jesus. There is no room for Christians to be hating their enemies regardless of what the issue is. Did we read what he said? Love your what? Enemies. Brothers and sisters, I'm with you in this. It's, uh, it's hard for all of us. But I want to tell you that Jesus came to give us life. And as long as we keep doing life the old way, we'll never get better. We will continue the violence, the hatred, the death blows that's so part of our culture. You know, Jesus is calling us to be, he says, you are the light of the world. You know what that means? It means when others strike out and hate you, you take it and you bear the evil like Jesus bore ours. And we bear it because we love you. And rather than responding in anger and attack, I will bear your evil for the sake of love. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Father, we come and we just confess we have so much to learn and so much to grow. And Lord, I think of your word that says that, that you want us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we come today, Lord, to renew our minds. And we say, wow, you know, maybe it's the driving. Maybe it's the, the Facebook. Maybe it's the bitterness towards this person. Maybe it is the harshness towards my wife or husband or kids. But somehow we've embraced it. Somehow we've defended it. And Lord, we know the first step to healing is admitting the truth. And so we come today, Lord, and we just confess that we have often not embraced your teaching. And today we want to take some filters off and we want to see it fresh. We want to repent. We want to ask you to forgive us. And then we want to say, Jesus, would you shepherd and teach us how to take the high road to love well, to be people of strength and courage and boldness and fearlessness, to always stand for what's right and good and true, but to do it in a way where we are not attacking. We are embracing even the evil that sent at us like you did. So, Father, we pray that you would be the king of our hearts. And we pray as we worship you now, as we bring you our gifts, our offering, our tithes, would you use them to unleash a movement of truly passionate Christ followers. We pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me? He is good, isn't he? And, you know, you see his goodness in the way he responds to evil. True goodness 
responds to evil with more goodness. See, human goodness, fallen goodness gives good when we receive good and evil when we receive evil. But Jesus came to catch us to make us truly good, to be the sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, to make us like him. This morning I was reading in Ephesians, it says to be imitators. And the word is, the Greek, it's like mimics of our Father and his love for us. So he calls us to be like him and not return evil for, uh, evil for evil, but to return good for evil. And that's what he came to do. And that's the path to life. That's the path to life. It is countercultural. It is counterintuitive. And it's a path to life. And as long as we continue to return evil for evil, we will never be transformed. Amen? Amen. So may this be a week. We grow in our gentleness. I challenge you, memorize those five qualities. Put them in your journal. Use it as a checklist, a reminder. Am I growing like Jesus? Am I becoming proud? Am I growing in my compassion, my kindness, my humility, my gentleness, and my patience? Would those who know me best say yes? Or would they say, actually, you are trending down? Right? Next week, we'll continue this journey. I'll be back. Looking forward to our fourth beatitude. Until then, May the Lord love you well. May you receive and drink deeply of his love for you. May you remember your true name, that you are chosen, and that you are deeply loved. And under that umbrella of love, may you listen and follow your king, our first citizen of the kingdom, that we might grow to be more like him, and then as we do, our light would shine brighter, and we would be the light of the world. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Love you.